0: Hello everybody, welcome to the Mount Hummer podcast episode one two one. I am Mount Hummer editor Mel and with me is the one, the only, Mount Hummer deputy editor Elle. How the hell are you Elle?
1: Drowning in chocolate in a fantastic way. What, are you? <laughs> yeah, it was my birthday a couple of weeks back and I got so much chocolate. And I just spent all day, every day eating chocolate. So I'm in a great mood.
0: Living the absolute dream. The pubs are opening back up this weekend. Are you going to be like steaming down to the bar and doing all that? (laughs) No. (laughs) You know, I'm quite scared still. I hope everyone else out there is staying safe and looking after themselves. Still a strange and scary world out there we've got at the moment, but there's loads of stuff to be excited about right now, which we are going to get well into today. Uh, not least of which is the latest issue of Metal Hammer, which is out right now in shops. And you can buy it uh, from, as I say, your local store or from tinyurl.com slash buyhammer. It is a special on the year 2000 where we look inside the albums, the stories, the big personalities that made up one of the craziest years in the history of metal. Uh, it features an absolutely banging cover feature on the one and only Deftones courtesy of the lady on with right here, Miss Eleanor Goodman. Uh, We've got a world exclusive interview with Deftones about the classic White Pony album, which uh, along with all these other records, of course, turned 20 this year. Uh, There's also stuff on Limp Biscuit in there. I did an interview with Wes Borland for Chocolate Starfish. Uh, We've got stuff on Linkin Park, Marilyn Manson, Nile, Papa Roach, uh, all these great bands and artists that made up such an instrumental and vital year in the history of metal. It's out right now. Uh, I said the address earlier, but I'm going to say it again. TinyURL.com slash BuyHammer if you want to get it online or if you're out doing your uh, your weekly shop or whatever and you happen to see one, pick it up. We appreciate your support very much. Uh feels like stuff's getting busier and busier at the moment, doesn't it? There's lots going on all of a sudden. New albums coming, new singles, tours getting rescheduled. It definitely feels like the music industry is starting to kind of creak back into some kind of, if not normality, then some kind of forward motion again.
1: Yeah, definitely. I saw Kavelas had announced a tour for next March. I think that was like a rescheduled thing. And it's been really difficult, actually, to keep up with some of the live streams in the last month or so, because there's been so much going on as well. So, yeah, there's definitely people being really proactive about what they're doing.
0: Yeah, definitely. Yeah, that Covella Tour did indeed get rescheduled. They were supposed to be playing Europe um, right around the time that lockdown happened, I think, because I went over and did that feature with them in February. And that was just before they... In fact, they might not even started the tour, but um, anyway, they've really they've rescheduled all the dates, including a London date for March nineteenth, twenty twenty one, at the Islington Assembly Hall. Uh, I think support comes from Planet of Zeus and Blood Command, which I'm very excited about. Love, love Blood Command, Lock of Attack as well. So that'll be really good. Uh, in new music news, Bring Me the Horizon dropped another new song. Uh, what did you think of Parasite Eve?
1: Well, I think you know what my reaction was. <laughs> Don't spoil it. <laughs> <laughs> Uh I wrote a little piece on the Hammer website like a first reaction. And um I really like it, which is not a surprise if you know me, because on the last record I really enjoyed uh Mantra and Wonderful Life, the heavier tracks. And I still even like the less heavy tracks as well. Um Sugar Honey Ice and Tea, that was quite cool. Um yeah, so there there's lots that I liked on it, even though I sort of prefer the paternal days and That's the spirit. So, yeah, Parasite um, Eve, is called. And it's named after a Japanese survival horror role-playing video game.
0: Which I did not know, to be fair.
1: Which is in turn based off a novel. And it's, yeah, it's all about kind of the strange world we've been living in the past few months. And apparently they started writing it before the pandemic, then paused it, then began writing it again because they kind of felt like it was too close to reality. But then their reasoning was... That because we're living in this reality, they should be putting this song out. So, yeah, when I first heard it, I thought it's just a really, really typical bring me the horizon take on a pandemic. Because if you've seen Amo, the last record, and you've seen some of the videos from there, there's a lot of very futuristic, dystopian type stuff going on in some of those songs and some of those videos.
0: I've got quite big Code Orange vibes as well from that video, very similar Ooh. to what they were doing on, um, I can't remember what the first track off underneath was called, the first single, but very similar to, to that, I thought, as well.
1: I think our um, friend and collaborator, Steve Hill, did a snarky tweet about that very thing.
0: He? <laughs> he may, well have. He may <laughs> well have. That's his opinion and that's, that's fine, it's his. But that's yeah, his. I could definitely see what he was getting at.
1: So yeah, um, if you've... I wrote about this about this on the Hammer website but the interesting thing to me was that if you take some of those last songs from Amo, then this track could be a bit like a bonus track from that record. So a lot of those videos had really interesting depictions of bodies intertwined with technology. So there was Nihilist Blues which was like an old video game, there were computer generated bodies in medicine, there were like wired up bodies in in the dark and it was all very sinister as well and futuristic so for me it was kind of like this continuation of what's gone before but the thing that's different is obviously that now we're living in this future world so whereas before there were kind of visions of a sort of um some of it's sort of archaic visions of the past you know like sort of old computer systems but it's all done with this kind of um nihilistic feel of like what is the point of everything we're doing now what does the future hold And then this song, it's like, oh, this is what the future holds. It holds a pandemic. So it was kind of, for me, it felt like it could have been a bonus track, except that, like I said, we've lived through this time now. Um, And I really like the way they did it as well, just opening with this really dramatic chorus. It's a Bulgarian choir singing a song. And it sounds so dramatic and one of my favorite ever gigs was probably Bring me the horizon at the royal albert hall just because mm-hmm. the songs sounded massive and they had the orchestra they had a choir at the back of the hall mm-hmm. and a lot of the time the choir was singing little bits and pieces that blended in with the songs because they'd obviously done the choral parts to fit with the existing songs uh, and obviously this was just taken it's a sample just taken from somewhere it wasn't recorded for the song itself but the fact that it's the first thing you hear and it's so full-on just makes it sound so cinematic and it's like okay they they're going in on choirs now in a big way yeah. um and, and i'm probably repeating stuff that i've written online now but it really reminded me of ghost in the shell as well it's like they've got this opening sequence the shelling sequence which again is all about bodies which you can see on youtube if you google it and it really reminded me of that film as well which is very much fust- futuristic japanese narrative again in the same way that parasite eve is a futuristic Japanese horror game so I think what Bring Me Do really well which I've said before is just this way that they work in loads of different pop culture references particularly I think Ollie Sykes is probably into a lot of Japanese culture and they use these references to form this like pop culture pinboard of things and so when you think about you can enjoy the music on its own, but then also when you think about the different influences and where they come from, they leave different impressions in your mind that kind of blur together to make this kind of dystopian world that we're now living in. And that nihilism as well. I mentioned the song Nihilist Blues that they had Grimes on on Amo. The songs that are so nihilistic as well, Parasite Eve, it's like, um, you know, the first lyrics are like, please remain calm, the end has arrived, we can't save you, enjoy the ride. But I think having seen interviews with Ollie since as well, he said they tried to make this a bit more hopeful than the previous songs. And there is a line that's like, uh, when we forget the infection, we'll remember the lesson. And it's Mm -hmm. kind of a little bit moralising, a little bit political, a little bit hopeful. Having been through all this for three months and everything it's entailed, are we going to just move on or are we going to learn from it? So that kind of marks a bit of a change for them. And Ollie's also said that in the next records, they're doing a series called post-human it's also going to be sort of very angry but kind of looking towards how we shape things a bit more so i'm really interested i'm really kind of drawn in by this i think it's an evolution but the sound is such that it's the kind of sound i like from them it is the more heavy sound it's the less love songs more dystopia
0: kind of um they've hit on a really good formula. And I think Ammo was kind of it because that when, you know, we all love Semper Turner and that still feels like a really important uh, album in the evolution of kind of heavy music in the last 10 years. But they kind of went, they kind of went off on one a bit with that's the spirit where it was just so kind of, it almost like it almost felt like it could have come from a different band, that album. And then they kind of like Ammo felt more to me, like they found the groove where, like there was still some heavy stuff on there, but the more kind of electronic elements felt more present and more kind of cutting edge and and very zeitgeisty and yeah, I agree with you that this this track feels like absolutely feels like it comes straight off the ammo rule book, which is not a bad thing at all because I like that album a lot lot more than I did that's the spirit as a whole um and yeah it's so, you know so it's a, it's a promising sign, always good to know they haven't left the heavy behind like I don't really have a problem with bands not going heavy if they're just making good music but it is quite cool when a band like Broomy kind of nods back to that um, and that's definitely on here so we will see uh, what else that might be a precursor to I guess
1: I don't know yeah, what Broomy really...
0: and release plans are specifically so I don't know if it will be a one-off or if there's a full album coming or
1: they're doing a series of releases called Post Human they've hinted at, that that's going to happen but I'm not sure when they're going to be released yeah Um. but yeah I really like that a Spirit actually I think that was mellower after Paternal*, But they ha- yeah, I mean, I guess I see what you're saying about the electronics in that they hadn't gone full on down that road. Um, they hadn't, whereas Ammo kind of went massively more into pop territory than That's the Spirit, whereas That's the mm-hmm. Spirit was kind of straddling the heavy world and the pop world a little bit more. So mm-hmm. I guess if you're into the pop stuff, you're going to be more inclined to like *Amo*, whereas That's the Spirit if you're kind of, not sure about it. I guess it's because it's sort of half and half, isn't it? It's got a toe in each. Yeah, it felt it felt
0: niche. a bit um between two worlds, that album. Yeah. Whereas ammo felt like a perfectly crafted thing where every song sounded like they belonged with each other. Like it had a real sound to it. Whereas on That's the Spirit, I felt like, oh, this song sounds like Lincoln Park, but this one sounds like I don't know, kind of I don't want to say emo, because that's a bit of a catch all, but like this one doesn't really sound like anything related to what was going on. Well, this one, this one kind of sounds like an Oasis chorus. Like it's just a bit. I
1: liked it in Ammo where they just shoved in mantra and wonderful life. It's like, if you kind of just thought bring me the horizon was all about the kind of electronic poppy stuff, then you just get a hit with two metal songs and Danny Phil from the middle. So
0: yeah, that's true. true. (laughs) That is true. But there's something about the, I don't know, like even the aesthetic of it all, like it all felt like it worked together a bit more for me, but, um, I'm definitely interested to see uh, what happens with this this series, like you said, and and what that might mean for their long term music strategy. So,
1: oh, he's really good at reading the zeitgeist, isn't he? And just playing on whatever's in people's consciousness at the time, and but then also pulling from like cool retro stuff, like '90s vibes or '80s or whatever. Like picking the right bits that are still kind of cool, definitely. merging them into what's happening now.
0: '90s aren't retro; they were yesterday, right?
1: Oh yeah, sorry. <laughs>
0: Uh, speaking of bands doing exciting things, Trivium. I'm really excited for this. Uh, Trivium are doing a huge live stream event next Friday on July 10th. Uh, the guys are going to be taking to the stage at Full Sail University, which wrestling fans may know is actually the home of NXT, which is quite interesting. Uh, so they're going to be, be they're obviously from Orlando as well. It's in Orlando, Florida, and they're from that town. Uh, so they're going to be taking to the stage at Full Sail uh, for and, a, and I quote an arena style visual show titled A Light or a Distant Mirror, which is could be broadcast live around the world. You can get tickets for this from the Trivium website. Um, and there's going to be live cuts, a really cool, immersive uh, stage show with like those visual effects. I think there's a support slot from Sylosis as well. There's going to be interviews before conducted by Metal Hammer Podcast Alumni Bees. Uh, and yeah, you can buy tickets for this, which I implore you guys all do if you're hoping to catch Trivium at some point on tour during the... Um, during the What the Dead Men Say cycle, this is a really good way to try and capture some of that. Uh, Yeah, I'm really looking forward to this because, um, like you said, there's loads of streams going on and Trivium have really taken their time to kind of get on board with this, given how long the album's been out. So I've got every confidence that this is going to feel like a really special event. And uh, I'm really excited about it because I'm gagging to see them play some of these songs.
1: And Matt Heafy is so good as well. We were talking before, weren't we, about how he's basically the Twitch king in metal. And the lockdown king, it's like, if something needs to be done remotely, you have to ask Matt Heafy how to do it. That's kind he's of how it works. He's your guy.
0: He's your yeah. guy. Yeah, he's not going like, to let something uh, like this go out half fast. So I'm really, really looking forward to this. I'm th- it's going uh, to be a really UK-friendly time as well. 8 p.m. BST next Friday. Uh, so I'm definitely going to sit back with some beers and uh, enjoy a Trivium show, which is a nice thing to be able to say right now. Uh so yeah, so fuck up then. The what? <laughs>
1: So that'll save some chocolate.
0: Yeah, save some chocolate for the heavy metal show. <laughs> uh Venom Prison are doing some cool stuff as well. They've got a new release coming. Uh Prime Evil is gonna be out on October 9th, and it's gonna feature eight re-recorded tracks from two early Venom Prison EPs to the Tyrant and the Primal Chaos, as well as two brand new songs as well. Uh they've also released the kind of um re-recorded version of Defy the Tyrant the title track from that early EP you can go listen to that now on the Metal Hammer website it is fucking ferocious it sounds so so good Uh, and yeah so not exactly a full album but probably some re-recorded stuff that a lot of people might not have heard before uh, and two new tracks so that's going to be good it's all happening now music's back
1: yes music's back it never went away but now it's back now
0: it's properly back it definitely (laughs) feels like there's loads of shit going on i'm really excited
1: it does Um, it feels like every day you wake up and there's a new release or a story about something happening or somebody announcing a plan and we've been working on something very special for next issue which i won't spoil but there's lots of exciting future stuff in there as well to get excited about so it definitely feels like things are going on
0: things can only get better my friends as the song once went um on on that note (laughs) <laughs> you know <laughs> the song? <laughs> no, I know. Is
1: this because you said the nineties was like five minutes ago? Yeah, stuck in my head. Um
0: uh, there's some great new music out this week as well. Uh one of which is the new Bury Tomorrow album, Cannibal. That is a great album. Um, one of the best, if not the mess the best, excuse me, uh modern metalcore bands in the game, certainly from this country anyway um so yeah get all over cannibal when it comes tomorrow it's a great album if you like where very tomorrow have been heading on their last couple of records you're gonna love that album uh big up to those guys um, and also out tomorrow sorry not tomorrow yes tomorrow because this is our Thursday. also out this week uh is the debut album from the one and only a a williams who is an artist we have covered in the magazine quite a bit uh, we've covered her here on the podcast when she did her debut ep um god was it a couple of years back or last year a little while back anyway uh, and now she's finally got her first full-length album out. This is a really, really fascinating artist, a singer-songwriter in the vein of people like Chelsea Wolfe and Louise Lemon and um, the more kind of uh, slower, more melodic parts of Mercury's last album. If you like that kind of stuff, I think you'll like all this as well. I'd even say, like, if you like stuff like Lana Del Rey, there's stuff on here that isn't a million miles from that kind of thing. Um, and those all sound like potentially tenuous things to be talking about on Metal Hammer, but she's really struck a chord with the metal world, um, A.A. Williams, because she's played with the likes of Eamon Ra, Cult of Luna, Sisters of Mercy. Her first ever live set was at Roadburn. So she's a really unique, uh, different, and fascinating artist who finally has a new album out. And um, it's really fucking good, isn't it?
1: (laughs) Yeah, it's really good. As you mentioned, she's associated with all these metal people, And she's very much spiritually aligned with a lot of artists in our world. And what she does when she's singing is very dark and moody and downbeat. And she has a classical background. She started playing classical piano when she was very young and moved into cello and uh, studied music at university as well. But then she's also grew up on bands like we grew up on, like Deftones, uh, Rage Against the Machine, Marilyn Manson. So she combines this love of metal with her classical education and the music is just really yeah. It's downbeat it's moody it's melancholic sometimes she's singing just by herself sometimes she's got strings accompanying her sometimes it's guitar accompanying her but the way that she composes is so good it's just there are moments of space where space is needed and these just massive crescendos as well Mm. but it's quite an overwhelming record you kind of think like a record by singer-songwriter it's only got how many tracks i want to say seven might maybe be maybe eight. has it got a yeah yeah it's quite short but it's really intense listen the artwork is kind of her looking through um like a rainy window type thing and it's a really good visual signifier for what you feel when you listen to it it's definitely one of those kind of like rainy day inside gray on the sofa type soundtracks um but it's just really good it's really good
0: yeah I, yeah i agree with everything you said so dark like you said emotionally heavy melancholic brooding um quite cathartic as well like to be absolutely honest like if you if you just kind of like need a good cry to get something out of your system like this album <laughs> really gets it done but it does it in a way that's kind of weirdly weirdly uplifting it's that thing where it just touches on a certain emotion in you that you're feeling and like you know times are very hard for everyone at the moment and having an album that comes along that kind of captures this sense of just doom and gloom but not in a way that just leaves you depressed it just leaves you very emotionally drained i guess Um, yeah
1: but it's um i don't want to spoil things too much for people listening and for people potentially reading about it in metal hammer in the future (laughs) (laughs) but the uh, the opening track has got this incredible video all i asked for was to end it all and um it's not about suicide it's about something else and if you watch the video you'll kind of see a lot of Positivity in there as well, but you're definitely. gonna have to read Hammer down the line to find out more about that one.
0: Yeah, definitely. But that's kind of what I'm <laughs> trying to get at, really. Like, it's 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 melancholic and it's sad and it's emotional, but it's also cathartic. It's it's good for it's a really kind of it's an album that all that that is clearly processing a lot of emotion. Um, and yeah, I mean, that was kind of sum, summed it all up, really. There's loads of like gorgeous piano and string segments, and um the the there's moments in tracks like "Melt" where they kind of burst into these really searing mid-sections that kind of really bring that catharsis out of you after a, you know all the kind of heaviness and uh kind of uh broodiness of it or not broodiness or something else brooding, <laughs> brooding
1: you're giving away your own subconscious here
0: <laughs> yeah i listened to this and it made me want a baby no that's not, that's not what this album is for me um, it's a, it's an album that you need to be in a certain state of mind to really delve into I think but it's absolutely just beautiful and it's got a couple of moments with guest vocalists on um, there's a moment on uh, one track with uh, an artist called Tom Fleming on uh, Dirt, that's it um, uh, if you listen to uh, this track by itself you kind of think like this doesn't even really sound like something that's relevant to metal but it's just got that kind of heaviness to it that's just totally inescapable um, and uh, Tom's vocals with uh, AAs just make this for this really beautiful dynamic. Um, and she also brings in Cult of Luna's Johanna's uh, on Fearless with some kind of death growls, and that creates a really nice kind of driving, almost doomy vibe that creates one of the record's heavier moments as well. Um, so there's a lot of layers here, and there's a lot of there's a lot of colours to this record, but they're all kind of washed in grey. <laughs> Um,
1: yeah definitely or dark blue <laughs>
0: yeah dark blue yeah maybe dark blue is a better thing because gray makes it sound a bit nice. it's
1: color palette yeah that goes it's a gradation isn't it from black to blue
0: yeah definitely and it but it but it's 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 a record that's so full of life as well and it's so rich you know um it's a really affecting and unique listen uh the and- voice
1: is great as well like it's not she's not pushing herself to sound like someone she's not, but at the same time, it's not affected. Um, So when it's kind of the strong bits of the song, it'd be really easy for her to push her vocals like really strongly and like force the words to come, but she doesn't do that. And when she's singing gently, it would be really easy just to be like, um, what's the word I'm looking for? To sort of affect like a sort of breathy singer songwriter persona which doesn't do that either the way she sings you do feel like she's just singing in a way that comes out from her and it sounds cliche but you know like from the heart basically
0: yeah definitely it's like it's kind of it's like a release that's just kind of coming out of her and it just um it just makes it all the more emotionally affecting i think it's a really really beautiful album um it definitely doesn't outstay its welcome as well like i said it's only eight tracks um so it's kind of uh you know fairly concise for what it is um but even in a in a world where we've kind of got the uh what do we call it like death pop, death no death gospel? Death it?
1: Gospel, yeah. Death
0: Gospel, that's kind of the label that's been given to a lot of these artists. So it feels like there's a few of them out there at the moment. But I think for me, a. a Williams is not only the most interesting one, but just the best out of most of them because this album is is stunningly gorgeous and um it's very different for something that comes into the umbrella of metal, but that emotional heaviness that it's kind of um Dragging with it absolutely puts it in our world. Uh, yeah, it's a beautiful album and it's out on Friday. And you'd all go listen to it. It's called Forever Blue. It's her debut album and it is really, really good. And after you finish that, smash the Brave Tomorrow record for a bit of a pick me up because that is a just a banging metal record that you need It's to really
1: good. Up.
0: Hell yeah. Should we do some questions from the old, okay. the old reader group? Facebook.com slash Melthammer Readers. If you want to come chat, hang out. Annoy us, whatever you like.
1: <laughs> Share ice creams.
0: Share ice creams. Yeah, there's a good ice cream thread. El got going. Good for her. So,
1: oh my dear, this one, he just paused. Yeah, I'll go on. this one. Then. Joe Heaton asks, "What's the old band T-shirt? Oldest band T-shirt you own? The one that perhaps should be chucked after fading so much, but you just have too many emotional attachments to it to throw it away? For example." I'll never chuck my t-shirt from the first download I went to, despite it going from black to a sad grey with a few
0: holes. Oh, I feel bad with this question because um, I've never really been, for want of a better word, a hoarder. Um, And I'm actually quite gutted. Don't call
1: Joe Heaton a hoarder. Well, that's why I said for want of a better
0: word. I just, I, I do the old, what's her name? Who's the lady that... Tell Marie Kondo. Sprint. Yeah, I do the old Marie Kondo thing quite a lot. Like I just get rid of stuff quite easily. Like if I haven't worn something in a while, I'll kind of, you know, whenever I move house or something like that, I'll do like a big Oxfam run with some old band tees. But in some it's cases I kind of Con wish Marie
1: I... the method. The what? It's called the Con Marie method.
0: Well then I am the Con KonMari method because I don't put up with stuff <laughs> for very long. But having said all that, I wish I hadn't done that in some cases because when I was a new metal warrior, um, I was wearing all my T-shirts super baggy. And then when I kind of started wearing stuff that was more, shall we say, fitted and perhaps fashionable, um, I got rid of a load of my old uh, metal T-shirts. And I wish I hadn't done that now because obviously I'm taller and wider and they would probably fit me better. Um, so I used to have like like Marilyn Manson stuff, Linkin Park stuff, Limp Biscuit stuff, Fear Factory merch, Offspring merch um, that I very much miss dearly. So I'm a bit shit in that regard. I don't have a lot of Super Old t-shirts, but I do still have uh, most of my old Man United kits from the 90s. So I've got those at least, one of which is hanging up in my house right now. So I hope that helps. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I didn't have anything to say. So I just thought, well, I've got some football kits.
1: Hope that helps. Well, I actually also got a download t-shirt from the first download I went to which was the very first download but because I was a teenager and didn't have any money I got it from somebody outside which is wrong obviously don't do that it's wrong but yeah I I bought a bootleg t-shirt because I didn't know any better um but it was really rubbish and like the back print and stuff obviously peeled off really quickly and it was not flattering because it was a man's t-shirt anyway so I ended up like not wearing it and um, my mum adopted it instead and used to wear it for gardening. I don't know if she still got it, but that's where that one ended up. So yeah, I'm not too sad about that. If I'd got a real one, maybe um, I'd be more sad, but it was a knockoff. And then I've got like a few T-shirts from the same time period when I was a teenager that I haven't thrown away, but are just in a box. And it probably is a bit hoardery and I should get rid of them because... They're a bit too small to wear now. I've got a Paparoach baseball t-shirt, which has got a red glittery cockroach on the front, which I thought was amazing because band t-shirts were like a bit rubbish. But this one was actually had a shape and it had a glittery cockroach on it, and I was like, it's got glitter on it, so I'm having it. And I've got yeah, and I got one from Glastonbury 2003, which is very much of its time. It's a pale blue tank top. And it would look 100% awful now. But my sister and her husband are really into Glastonbury. And I suspect at some point they'll end up taking my niece. So I kind of, in the back of my mind, I'm like, maybe I'll give that to her to wear when she goes. Because she's still a child. So she can actually wear a a small t-shirt and get away with it.
0: That's cute. cute. Um,
1: Yeah, and I got an Incubus t-shirt with a flower logo on it, which again would look horrible now, but I've still got that. So, yeah, I've got a few in a box that I just, I wouldn't wear now. Oh, and I've got an amazing placebo one, which is way too small for me. But they did this one-off show in Elephant and Castle at, oh, what's the venue called? The big venue where Charlie Chaplin used to perform. Um, I know the
0: exact one you mean, but it's not coming to mind at all.
1: Yeah, um, I can't remember the name of it now, but they played there, and it's such a great T-shirt. It's got, like, an Elephant and Castle logo on it of like an elephant with a, a castle turret on its back and it says placebo and it's all like old-fashioned fonts and that's an amazing t-shirt that I've still got as well but that's I, could, awesome. I couldn't wear it it would probably barely go over my arm
0: you totally a dummy there I've got nothing like that in the in the old locker which is a bit poo uh <laughs> um, Ben Wilmot asks Following on from his Glasto set that was rebroadcast over the weekend, I have to say I did watch a lot of the Glaston coverage over the weekend and it was really, really good. So many classic sets. David Bowie one was great, of course, but um, I'll re-watch the Metallica set and um, I was watching like, uh, like, there was loads of stuff. The Stormzy set was great, the Beyonce set, the um, the Emmy Winehouse set. It was a really, really cool weekend of, of music and connectivity. Uh, and yeah, Ben asks, um, are you fans of David Bowie or not? and how much crossover into our world do you think his music has
1: well the obvious thing for me is the night nails connection so berry and night nails toured together and actually merged their sets into each other as well so david berry and night nails uh, i think i think david berry kind of got in touch with night nails as people but it was a weird situation because at the time night nails were getting really really big and they were actually selling more tickets in north america than what david berry would have done. trent reznor was a huge david berry fan and a lot of his music was inspired by david berry. you know he was his literal childhood hero. so the idea of david berry supporting him was like crazy to him. um so they ended up touring together anyway and david berry really wanted to talk with noise Nails because he saw them as really cutting edge. And he also wanted the challenge of playing in front of an audience that wasn't like his and that was a completely different contemporary audience, um, which was really cool because obviously he was super—he was a super kind of unique artist in the way that he did things and he really stuck to his artistic guns. Mm-hmm. So yeah, they ended up touring together and Night Nails played and then David Berry would come on towards the end of the set and they'd play a few songs together and then that would roll into the David Berry set. And some amazing footage on YouTube if you have a look of like them playing together, just incredible. And obviously they, they did stuff together as well, like um Nightnail's Remixed Heart's Filthy Lesson, and Together Barry and Trent worked on I'm um, afraid of Americans, which is a really cool song as well. If you've not heard that, definitely check that out. Christ so like Christ. there's a massive connection there. And it's so interesting to sort of see those links between David Berry, who was this kind of unique artistic presence, and Trent Reznor, who was the same, but from a slightly different generation and a different genre of music. And I would have loved to have been in the audience to just see how Night Nails fans reacted to Berry and like what that vibe was like on that tour, because it must have been so interesting to see how it all came together and what the atmosphere was like.
0: Yeah, definitely. I mean, that was an, it's an, that was such a unique and fascinating, not not that I was there at the time, but in hindsight, such a unique and fascinating uh, dynamic for those two artists to come together like that, because where so many artists that came to prominence in the 60s, 70s and 80s just seemed a little bit out of date and naff in the 90s, but he wasn't really one of those in the same way. I mean, you know, he didn't have the same level of cutting edge And kind of mainstream success that he had done but the fact that he wanted to do that showed um, what kind of forward thinking mind he had Um, and yeah the Earthling album like you said with I'm Afraid of Americans on it had some really interesting stuff going on in the 90s but um, in terms of uh, his influence on rock and metal I mean if I was going to pick any artist who has obviously had such a massive impact on music uh, on heavy music that maybe isn't directly in the family tree, so not like Led Zeppelin and Cream and those kind of bands who are talking about slightly more peripheral presences, then Bowie would be right up there. Um, Not just because his music was so expansive and so multi-layered and had so many different eras and things to it. So just on that basis alone, musically, he would have inspired a lot of artists that would then go into metal, but his kind of chameleon-like ability to just constantly change image and change style and everything... I mean Marilyn Manson's obviously the 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 outstanding um, example of that. The Mechanical Animals era, especially, um, yeah, was such a direct uh, homage almost to Ziggy Stardust and Aladdin sane and all that and, and that whole era. But I mean, even before that, like, why do you think Marilyn Manson started wearing the milky contact? It was to like pay homage to David Bowie. Um, so that was a really obvious one. But I mean, God, there's so many examples. Like, you look at a band like Creeper. Will never shuts up about David Bowie once you get him talking about it. Um, and yeah, I think he was an amazing artist. I was definitely a fan. Um, he was a big deal in my house growing up. Uh, to me as a little kid, he was the Goblin King, of course, from Labyrinth. But then I kind of grew to appreciate his music as well. I think Black Star is one of the greatest albums of the last ten years by any artist. It's probably my favorite thing he did. Um, I also appreciate that he was a very problematic artist in hindsight and like plenty of Things have come out about that, um that you know also need to be thought about and are also part of his legacy as well um but in terms of the the musical side of it, like unquestionably a huge influence on rock and metal culture unquestionably um so yeah, hope that answers your question, Ben. I think someone else made some very good succinct points about um the scary monsters era as well and how that influenced metal over on the on the readers' group.
1: I actually only really found out about him and I mean I knew about Barry through my parents but not in like a huge way because we used to just listen to like a lot of radio one and contemporary like more contemporary music than that i think at the time but i was really um into the works of jonathan reese myers the actor and he was in velvet goldmine which is like a massive glam rock movie and um that yeah that was just full of stuff about david burry so i was like oh my gosh need to find out more about this
0: yeah definitely just i mean one of Unquestionably one of the most influential artists who have ever done anything. That's just that's just a fact, you know. His his blueprints are everywhere. Uh Mark Baker says, Do you ever get annoyed by the blah blah aren't metal? And what about bands blah blah that are guaranteed to pop up on every Metal Hammer Facebook post without fail? Yes. <laughs> Do you
1: still get annoyed by them? in a really low level way like there's a fly that's like you know you're trying to work or something and a fly lands on your monitor and then flies off again so yeah in like a sort of low level this is predictable but a bit tiring kind of way
0: yeah that's fair that's fair um yeah it, it annoys me a little bit cuz I think the thing that annoys me about the old uh, Facebook commenters, and I doubt many of them listen to this podcast or read the magazine, to be honest, or probably even read the actual articles they're commenting on, it's when people think that like they're saying something like it's never been said before. Like do you, we've been on—I mean, we've been on Facebook alone for like ten years now. Do you really think that no one's ever gone <laughs> more like Pop Hammer before? We got two and a half million people on there. Do you think no one's thought of that genius joke before? Like, come on, man. Or, oh, you're turning into X, Y, and Z magazine, which I also don't read anyway, but I'm just making this random comparison out of the top of my head. It's just like, come on, man.
1: Although I have it seen... always
0: I have, men.
1: <laughs> I have seen... I feel like I've seen less of the what does Corey Taylor think stuff.
0: Yeah. Recently.
1: Although, yeah. You know, having said that, we did acknowledge that by interviewing Corey Taylor and asking Corey Taylor what he thought of what does Corey Taylor think. <laughs> so maybe we maybe we ended it by going to the source i don't know
0: The meme has eaten itself i mean we definitely you look at the kind of culture around metal online and i think we can comfortably say that it's pretty much thanks to metal hammer and the metal hammer facebook page like that the what does Corey taylor think thing and the kind of ongoing furor around baby metal and ghosts and those kind of artists those are all debates that seem to kind of uh, get cultivated from the metal on my Facebook which is you know, what's what it's all about if we all agreed on stuff it'll be boring but you know sometimes just fucking go outside we well, can't much now <laughs> <laughs> like,
1: <laughs> yeah I think it's just when I, I agree with you like debate's a good thing and it's I always enjoy reading people's comments even though they say you should never read the comments but yeah when I think it's when it's just repetition when it's like the same group of people saying this band aren't metal, this band aren't metal, this band aren't metal over and over again. It's like by saying it again, it's probably not going to make any more of a point. It's already been said. Mm. And you kind of just, sometimes you're like, Oh, you know, maybe you could just enjoy it instead.
0: (laughs) I mean, the thing people need to remember is that it's really easy to frame the debate around the negative stuff that you see online because i'm exactly the same um you know if i if i'm just browsing twitter and i see someone that i follow say something like i'm made in a good i'll just favorite that do you know what i mean like i'm not going to interact with it beyond that it's just like yes i agree here's a like or here's a favorite or whatever but if you see something that you disagree with you're more compelled to actually comment on it and so what happens is if you post something about baby metal on facebook you get all these comments that uh, saying, oh, it's not metal, blah, blah, blah. And so then it's framed as like, oh, metalheads don't like baby metal. But those that number of comments is still dwarfed by the people that are just liking and loving and blah, 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 and sharing uh, those posts. So it's easy to kind of get caught up in the thing of like, oh, it's all negative and metalheads are moaning and blah, blah, blah. But it's actually not. It's just a vocal, a vocal minority. And there's anyone that has been to the likes of Bloodstock knows, metalheads are bloody lovely, aren't we?
1: Thanks for explaining the internet, Merlin.
0: Well, you know, I think some people, as a former online editor, I think (laughs) it's my job to explain the internet to some of our loyal listeners. I'm sure you guys will know this anyway. That's the thing. Like most people that actually read the mag and interact with us and listen to this are all brilliant. And we appreciate it very much.
1: This next Uh, question is super long. Should I read the whole question or just summarise it? Can't decide.
0: uh, Okay, I'm going to read
1: it. I'm going to read it. All right, go on. Okay, I'm going to take a deep breath. Okay, Rich Hobson asks Considering the focus of the current issue, how do you define new metal? It always strikes me as exceptionally weird that some bands fall under the tag where just a few years earlier they might have fit more comfortably under the alternative metal tag. Your corn, your deftones, for instance. But even more crazy that bands like Incuus, Alien Ant Farm, etc. Somehow schlep into the category, despite a lack of any tonal or aesthetic similarities.
0: Love a good use of schlep.
1: Then the next bit's in brackets. So basically, what acts do you personally consider to be the pure cornerstones of what new metal actually is, and who is the furthest outlier you'd be willing to hand the tag? Did we do a new metal Mount Rushmore once? I feel like we did. We did. No, we did like um, a new metal card game. Like no, five I mean,
0: minutes. I mean, just chatting about it on the web, or chatting about it here, not in the magazine.
1: I don't think so.
0: Um, I do remember that metal, that new metal car game. That was great. Basically,
1: uh, who's new metal? Who's new? Not, not new metal. Decide.
0: Well, okay, so I'm going to pick my Mount Rushmore of new metal. So these are four artists that I think are unquestionably new metal, but also represent quite a good diversity of bands within new metal. Obviously, Corn because they invented it. Um. Limp Biscuit because I think they personified and embodied new metal's kind of bratty, kind of obnoxious second generation. Um, and there's just no other genre you can. really, I mean, you could say no, they're rap metal or whatever, but Limp Biscuit are fucking new metal. I was literally just put a cap on backwards while I'm doing this, which is weird because no one can see it, so it's just putting me <laughs> off. Um, so I'd have Corn Limp Biscuit, Linkin Park because they're the most successful graduates of new metal. Again, even though they kind of went into more alt rock territory hybrid theory is an absolute new metal album and now i fucked it because i can't think of a fourth band to go in that hold on let me grab our new metal special for a few years ago
1: <laughs> oh don't leave me to talk by myself i've just put my backwards cap on nobody can see i'm just pretending to be a new metaler.
0: i'm only this here
1: time, this is like the time i went to warp tour in like 2003 and walked past a merch stand with my cap on backwards and one of the vendors went, hats at 10 and two, please. Hats at 10 and two.
0: <laughs> um, right. This is actually, got, I think I've stitched myself up because I said I'm going to pick four. And I can't pick of no, I can't think of another one that's so perfectly as to those three. I mean, you've got bands like, you know, Cold Chamber for me, absolute new metal band. Papa Roach on Infest, maybe Jacoby could be our fourth guy.
1: Yeah. I think, that. you know, that we've... We've spoken about Slash is in the issue that they kind of evolved into something else over time, you know, but on the basis of kind of what was tagged New Metal when it came out and what it embodies and rapping, like rap rock type thing, you could pick him.
0: Like if I was going to pick the four greatest and purest New Metal albums to give to someone, even though again, corn because corn were a whole generation before, they feel tonally different, but I would probably pick a corn album, I'd pick Chocolate Starfish, I'd pick Hybrid Theory, and I'd pick Infest.
1: So would I. I know. Um, we know which corn album i pick because we had this discussion a few weeks back, and I picked pick the issues. same one.
0: <laughs> oh, no, yeah, you pick issues, sorry, yeah, but, but that wasn't in the debate, was it?
1: No. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I think so too. And it's funny with bands like Incubus because at the time, it wasn't weird to me that they were kind of grouped into the same thing because I just liked all those bands. And Alien Ant Farm the same like obviously they sound completely different but having songs like movies i was just like yes yeah, all part of new metal it's all the same thing i, just I think like, it's because
0: of the metal. smooth criminal cover isn't it really because <clears throat> that didn't really reflect what a lot of their music actually sounds like but that that's a new metal cover That smooth criminal
1: yeah it is <laughs> But because movies was around at exactly the same time and that was always being played on music tv
0: and they dressed like a new metal band. Like it was all baggy yeah. chains and stuff. Like, and
1: they were all friends with everybody as well.
0: Yeah, it was a real generational thing. Because the thing is, yes, yeah, System of a Down, System of a Down, Slipknot and Deftones are the three bands, aren't they, from that school that never really you could seriously say were like fully new metal the
1: time I would have done, but looking back, it's hard to say that now.
0: Yeah, definitely. But but it's understandable why, because New Metal was so full of colourful characters. I mean, I'm just looking at the cover of this New Metal special we did a few years ago. And you've got like Clown, Wes Bourne looking painted up, Chad from Mudvayne looking all painted up, Serge looking crazy like he used to be all face painted up as well. Um, Dez from Coal Chamber. So it's very understandable why these bands all kind of got grouped together. Um, as far as bands on the outskirts that I still call cool new metal, I mean, I don't really know. I think some of the early incubus albums are pretty new metal, but I wouldn't lump them directly in with that. Do you know what I mean?
1: Well, it was things like Certain Shade of Green, um, where you were kind of like, "Yeah, this is new metal," but it was more like a sort of interesting funk. <laughs> type thing going on as well
0: um, yeah I it's a weird one I basically think you you either had bands that were were absolutely new metal, Taproot, new metal band Spine Shank, new metal band um, like there's no real Edema, new metal band like I don't think there's much
1: Huddle of Mud
0: more grungy aren't they on the like new grunge side you know it's
1: what I mean new grunge but it'd have to be a new because it's like new metal I remember yeah. listening to that record like over and over again when I was at school.
0: Obviously Disturbed, one of the big new metal bands. David Joman would be a shout actually for the Mountain rushmore of New Metal. That's a though, really good point, yeah. Again, they've kind of moved on from that. Yeah.
1: Um,
0: I don't know. I think I think you've got bands that are just pure new metal. And then I think everything else, I don't I can't really think of anything that's like on the borders but that I would still group in with that. But um I mean people you could think what you want about that era, but I'm just looking at this magazine cover again. If you look if you kinda of Google Metal Hammer New Metal, you'll see the kind of Sgt Pepper Image I'm talking about. Um really cool commission. Uh and it just um man, I would not I would not be against a movement like that turning up again, left it that way. You were never short of colourful people to put on the cover of Metal Hammer back then. Uh but yeah, a good old time. Uh Dan Holmquist says, any gigs you could have gone to earlier in the year, but chose not to for some dumb reason, <laughs> now you regret it, because there are no gigs. <laughs>
1: No, I look back through my calendar and there's definitely stuff that I missed, but I had a good reason for it at the time, not a dumb reason. So I'm going to go with no, no regrets.
0: Fair, good. I, I missed, right, right as, this was almost the last gig, I think we might have even got in the magazine before lockdown happened. A.A. Uh, a. Williams played South Bank with an orchestra um, and we just reviewed the album, of course. I was so looking forward to seeing her, but I just... It was just when stuff was starting to like shit was starting to hit the fan in the UK with COVID. And I was pretty certain that lockdown was about to happen anyway. And I just started to feel a bit irresponsible going to gigs at that point. So I don't regret not going, but I'm sad that I couldn't go because it just looked like it was an amazing thing. Um but you know, these times will happen again. And like I said, very excited about this trivium thing next week. I think for me that's gonna be uh one of the big kind of talking points of the next few months in terms of how bands can do the whole streaming thing a bit differently. I'm very, very excited. And that is all for this week, I reckon. Uh, So cheers very much for joining us, everybody. We appreciate it. As I always say, keep being safe, keep looking after each other. Uh, We're all getting through this together. And uh, it's awesome that we've got all this stuff to talk about with you every week. So we'll be back next week to talk about even more cool metal shit. We'll see you then everybody. Goodbye.
1: Goodbye.